the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and I'm here to host this radio show that's normally hosted by my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, who is out this week. Both he and Paula are enjoying some time away. They will be back next week here on the radio. So for the meantime, uh, I get to host your questions, questions about the Bible, Take your questions about Jesus, about what the Word of God says, uh, the same that we always do. And also, as usual, uh, Thursday, which is tomorrow, so I'll say this now, is the date day edition. That means me and, and my beautiful wife, May, we get to share the radio studio here, taking your calls and questions, and she is a great encouragement. So take advantage of that tomorrow for the date day edition. In the meantime, let me talk about uh, here at Calvary Chapel, then I'll give you the numbers. Uh, It is Wednesday, so that means here at Calvary Chapel, we are having our Old Testament study tonight. And Pastor Elaine will be teaching, I believe he's in the book of Genesis, 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Come join us, or you can join us online, but we'd much rather see you in person. 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary, Pastor Elaine is teaching out of Genesis. The phone numbers for you to call in and ask your question on the air is 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. There's an email address if you want to submit questions. That way you can do so at questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. We have a church app, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. You can submit questions that way. There's a, the radio archives are also there. If you miss an episode, you can listen there. And then the KSLR app allows you to not only listen over the Internet, but you can call in. There's a call now button at the top. You click that and then you'll be connected directly to the studio and you can ask your question on the air. All right. At the beginning. So let me say uh, yesterday at the end of the show, and and I just remembered this, uh, Kenny had called in with only a minute or two left with a question about uh, the movie. Is it the sound of freedom? And and it was uh, what, what the thoughts on that, and I think he referenced uh, Jesus' passage there in Luke 17 about uh, a millstone. And so uh, I was able to give a brief answer, Kenny, and uh, the, the, but I wanted to elaborate on a, just a little bit more. I have not seen the movie. I do know what it's about. And these are atrocious things that the Bible detests, that God's heart detests, and Jesus' heart towards the children is there on full display. 
Matthew chapter 18, Luke chapter 17, where he says, let the little children come unto me. And that reference, Kenny, you talked about, about the millstone, was anyone that, anyone that hinders these children from coming to me, Jesus says it's better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and to be thrown into the water. Why? Because what he's saying is this is a grievous uh, sin against God's heart to prevent the little children from coming to him. Uh, how that applies to the movie may not be a direct application, but it applies in the sense that we don't want to hinder children from learning about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus told us that that we are, adults, are to approach him with childlike faith. And see, children, young children, they're not cluttered in their minds with all of this stuff that our society tries to brainwash us with. Uh, they're not uh, infected with worldly philosophies or carnal thinking. They're still sinners. Of course they are, but their approach to Jesus is very simple. And this is why anyone who hinders children from coming to him have great judgment facing them. Now, when it comes to this movie, obviously this is highlighting a social issue. And, but Jesus' heart is still uh, against anyone that would hinder children from coming to him. So in that sense, yes, uh, Jesus' heart is against anything, especially trafficking and all of these atrocities that are committed against children or anybody else. But specifically to children, there is a great judgment for those that get in the way. And so that's why, and the application of this is for the children that we have in our lives, whether it's your own children or the children that you have influence over. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher or you teach in your children's church at your church. Uh, Consider it a great privilege to have that opportunity to pour into them the Word of God and the love of Jesus Christ, um, because there are many children that don't have that opportunity. So that's why we consider it a gift, and that's the millstone that Jesus references, Kenny. Uh, So I hope that helps. Thank you for giving me a chance to elaborate on that here at the beginning of the show. I gave you the phone numbers. So you can call in or you can submit your questions via email. In the meantime, we will proceed with those that have been submitted. The first one is from Joey. Joey says, Hi, Pastor Ron. I host a weekly Bible study after school. This week, my supervisor is asking me to cancel it. Parentheses, the day before, due to after school training. We have over 20 teenagers who come what should I do? On one hand, I, I want to do what the Lord says. And on the other hand, I want to respect my authority. Any advice? Thanks. Well, Joey, uh, I will say this at the beginning. First of all, thank you for having a Bible study with the youth. Uh, you know, I was just talking about this movie and pouring into the youth, whether they're young children, elementary age, or even older, into junior high and high school, they need the Word of God. And a weekly Bible study at school is a wonderful place to have that. But to your question here, you say that it has to be canceled because your supervisor says that they're going to use the facility. Now, I'm going to go here with a, f- a couple of assumptions, it sounds like you're implying you're using the school facility for the Bible study, which is great. But if the school needs the facility, um, well, then you really have no choice. I-, I hate canceling Bible study. I really do, especially at last minute. Um, but if it's possible for you to have the study somewhere else, uh, use a different room, you take the study outdoors, uh, maybe put a sign for anybody that's arriving and and saying that the, 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 the Bible study has been moved to a different room. Uh, maybe that's an option for you, Joey. I, I don't know. But what I would do, what I would try to do is try to keep the study if at all possible. 
Now, if that's not possible, you are unfortunately, you're under the restriction of that, uh, that entity that manages the facility. It's not your facility. And so if, it, uh, if they say that you have to cancel it, then, then you'll have to cancel it. But I would first try to relocate, if at all possible. Again, I hate canceling Bible study, and I want to take advantage of every opportunity I have to teach the Bible, especially to teenagers and teenagers that are coming. 20 teenagers is, is great, but uh, you're using a facility that doesn't belong to you and you want to respect the authority of the people that, that have given you the privilege and, and the distinction of using their facility. But in this case, it sounds like they scheduled something. And so um, you comply and try to le- relocate your study elsewhere, if at all possible. So, Joey, I, I hope that helps. Thank you. And if you're talking about uh, holding up the training, it sounds like this after-school training, if it applies to the kids, you don't want to get in the way of that. Like if, for example, this after-school training is for the same kids that are going to uh, the same Bible study, well, again, you don't want to be in the way. Um, The school facility is there for, for school, and if there is some type of mandatory training that they're required to do, um, then then you have no choice but to go ahead and cancel your Bible study. And so I hope that helps, again, with the information you've given me. I don't know exactly what's going on, but my first thought is, God bless you, Joey. What an awesome privilege you have to teach the Word of God to 20 teenagers. How amazing is that? And thanks for your question. Let's move on. The next one is from Rosie. Rosie says, I was talking with my sister, who is a Christian, about losing our salvation. She said that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible says we can lose our salvation. When I read it, it kind of sounds like it's possible. I don't, don't believe we can lose our salvation, but can you help me understand what this verse means? Uh, Sure, Rosie, let me, I don't have it opened up, but I will turn there real quickly. Okay, so Revelation chapter 3, we know what the context here is. It's obviously referring to the letters written uh, by Jesus to the churches. And here in chapter 3, verse 5, this is the church to Sardis, which is actually what we were just talking about this recently in pastor's class. But to the church in Sardis, Jesus says, He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. And this phrase Blotting out a name from the book of life is what you're referring to or what your sister may be referring to about losing our salvation. So I can help here. This does not mean, and I think we need to read carefully here, this does not mean we can lose our salvation. In fact, what it does mean is that our salvation is one that cannot be lost if, in fact, we're truly saved. Let me elaborate. So here when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to a church, the church of Sardis. And when he says, he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. We need to read that at face value and take it for what it means at face value. So if Jesus says here, I will never blot out his name from the book of life, we don't want to imply from that that there is an opportunity for a name to be blotted out. That's That logic doesn't follow. Instead, what Jesus says here is simply, I'm never going to blot out this person's name. And this is a word, I think, that encourage, that should encourage us. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, I tell you the truth, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. 
So Jesus says, I give eternal life to those who believe in me. Then he goes on to say, and they will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So what Jesus is saying is that he's the one that gives eternal life and he doesn't take it away. They have crossed from death to life. They will not be condemned. Jesus, later on in chapter 10 in John's gospel, says that I will not lose any that the Father has given me. No one can pluck them out of my hand. And what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 10, and the, the context there is sheep of another fold. He's talking about his flock. There are those who are his and they know his voice, his sheep as a shepherd. They know his voice and they follow him. They follow him. And then he goes on, Jesus goes on to say, I will not lose any of them or they will not be plucked out of my hand. Then he goes on to say that the father has them and they will not be plucked out of his hand, implying that he and the father are one. So this gives us clear certainty that salvation is not ours to earn and it's not ours to lose because Jesus is the one that provides that security for those that are truly his. Here in Revelation chapter 3, again in verse 5, to the church at Sardis, this is a clear statement that affirms our names not being erased. It affirms that, that we are in a place of security if we're truly his. So this should be seen as an encouragement, Rosie, not as a discouragement, but an encouragement because salvation is given to us by God through faith in Jesus Christ, and it's not maintained by us. It's, it's kept by him. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that when we place our faith in him, God gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So it's like he places uh, an eternal down payment in our hearts, and he's the one that guarantees that. He's the one that guarantees that inheritance. So we can't lose that which we didn't earn on our own. And I think here in this case, at least in the conversation with your sister, passages like this in Revelation chapter 3, we need to read it for what it says and and simply cling to the face value of what Jesus' statement is, which is, this is a clear statement, that our salvation is is guaranteed by Jesus, and this isn't something we could lose. Um, tangentially related to this, Rosie, you know, when it comes to losing salvation, the, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. And, and, and if we pick verses here and there, uh, out of context, it may give the initial appearance that salvation can be lost. But this is why we need to be students of the Bible and understand uh, who is writing and who it's being written to and the occasion on which the letter or the, the passage is written. The occasion meaning what is the circumstance upon which uh, the, the, the passage is being written. And here to the church at Sardis, Jesus is giving a warning for sure. You know, he's talking about a church here that has dead works. He's talking to a church that has a reputation of being alive. But their works are dead. So this is a stark warning given to the church that their 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 works are dead works and they, they need to wake up. But he's saying that suffering is coming and you have to endure through that suffering. And so when that suffering comes, they need to overcome it. Why? Because their names will not be blotted out. There's hope. There's hope that they can cling to even when it gets tough. So, Rosie, thank you for your question. I hope that helps. You know, this is something that, uh, and this is not for you, Rosie, but Christians in general, uh, 
we struggle with things like this, like the question of can we lose our salvation because we don't know what the Bible says. But if we know what the Bible says, not, o- not only are we equipped with answers, but more importantly than providing an answer, our hearts and our minds are so are molded and shaped through biblical thinking, thinking the way the Bible teaches. And so our thoughts and our words are a reflection of what the Word of God says. And, and since we know the Word of God is true, and we know the Word of God is inerrant, and we know there are no contradictions, then, then we can lean heavily on what we know to be true. And when something comes against that, that, that challenges what we know to be true, we could simply cast it aside and say, no, we're not going to even waste time. We're not going to waste time worrying about things that we know to be true. Having confidence in our salvation is an essential of what the Bible teaches for the Christian. And this essential is, is I say it's essential because this is what uh, solidifies and provides a solid foundation of what our, what our faith is placed upon. And if you know you can't lose something that you didn't earn, then it's not something you can allow the enemy to, to mess with you in your thinking. And so that's something I hope you can um, share with your sister, Rosie, and, and for anybody else that's, that's struggling with that same question. Uh, we are just under five minutes here for the first half of the radio show. So if you want to call, I can hold you over to the second half of the show, or you can call right after the break that's coming up here soon. Um, but we do have more questions, so I'll move on to those. The next one is from Anonymous. What do you think about teaching our kids not only their identity in Christ, who, parenthetically, they say who the Bible says they are, but also their cultural identity. Uh, Asian, Hispanic, European, African, etc. Um, anonymous, uh, this is another question that we get from time to time. Um, I think that the Bible is very clear here. No. So I'll give you what Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 3, which is a well-known passage, but I think it applies to the church, the universal church of Jesus Christ, which is this. In, within the church, Jesus doesn't see Jew or Gentile. He doesn't see race. He doesn't see color. He doesn't see male or female. He doesn't see slave or free. Paul the Apostle there writes to the Galatians there in chapter 3, verse 28, that we are all one in Christ. Paul would write to the Ephesians also that that um, that that the wall of separation has been broken down, that there is unity in chapter 4 of Ephesians, unity in the body of Christ. So there's, there's no longer a division between Jew and Gentile. Those walls are broken down. And so if Jesus has broken down these walls of separation, why do we want to build them back up? Now, your question, though, doesn't, doesn't say that we want to build them back up. I'm just saying that this is a question that we often get. But you're, you, you ask here, Anonymous, what do you think about teaching our kids not only their identity in Christ, but also cultural identity? There's nothing wrong with that. You teach culture, that's fine. I mean, we want people to know about their family, about their relatives, uh, about their cultural identity. I, I think that's a great thing, but that's not our sole identity. We are a Christian first and foremost, above all things. You know, I, I, am, I am Filipino. I was raised in a Filipino culture, born here, though. And I think it's great if my kids want to study about Filipino culture. But I'm going to teach them about Jesus first and foremost. And anything I teach them about our culture falls under what it means to be a Christian, so I don't, I don't teach my kids to take pride uh, uh, in their Filipino culture in the sense that it it makes them better than anybody else. But it's part of the unique makeup of how God has made them and every individual. 
Well, that's great. If you want to study that and teach your kids that, but uh, we need to teach our kids what the Word of God says. And as long as they understand in the kingdom of God, there is no Jew and Gentile. Among Christians within the church, we see each other uh, not according to our ethnicities or cultural backgrounds, but uh, one in Christ, with that solid understanding, then enjoy your culture. Enjoy other people's cultures. Uh, you know, in this, this age of uh, wokeism and sensitivity, uh, cultural appropriation is a bad thing. I, I think it's cool. Uh, you know, if I want to study other cultures and I want to appreciate them, I think that's a good thing. But again, all of that is secondary to being, to, to identifying as a Christian according to the Word of God. And with that solid understanding of who you are in Christ, you know your identity in Christ, then you can enjoy all the other things about you and your family. So you can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and we'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and I'm filling in for Pastor Ron this entire week. So if you're just joining us on your way home from work, Welcome to the radio show. We continue, as usual, here to take your questions about the Bible, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, doctrinal questions, questions about Jesus, and, and whatever we can do to help you fall deeper in love with Him. That's why we're here. And so with that, let me quickly give you the phone numbers to call in if you want to ask your question on the air. 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. Toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com want to submit questions that way we'll it'll come into our email inbox and we could ask uh answer i'm sorry your question on the air quick note and i'll remind you again at the end of the study it's wednesday that means here at calvary chapel it's our old testament study night and pastor lane is teaching in the book of genesis all right this next question is from our email inbox and this is uh from anonymous now i think i might have answered this already forgive me if i did it but um, it got sent in again, so I'm going to assume that it wasn't answered. Um, it says this, Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been listening to you for a couple of months, and I really enjoy it. Thank you. I noticed you call out husbands and fathers, rightfully so, but you seem, but, but you seem like you don't call out wives and mothers as much. My wife reminds me often I am the problem in the marriage. Quote, even Pastor Ron talks mainly to husbands and fathers, so you all are the problem. End quote. I messed up prior to Jesus, and I consistently apologize to her, but she says she cannot trust, and that is why she disrespects me. She is a mean person to me. Any feedback is greatly appreciated. You know what, Anonymous, now that I'm reading it, I, I, I remember this question. It probably was during our technical difficulties, and so... Um, allow me just a few minutes to to answer this again. But if you're listening for the first time, let me say this. This is very, very important, Anonymous. And so uh, my heart breaks over hearing and reading your question. Uh, you know, marriages that suffer because of sin. I want them to know that Jesus is eager and willing to restore the marriage but it's going to require both the husband and the wife to agree to agree with Jesus. And in this case, uh, my first 
initial thought reading your question is both you and your wife need to sit down and get counseling. This isn't something that I could answer um, definitively and comprehensively over the air. Um, this is a conversation that's necessary to be in person, face to face. So please, uh, whatever church you go to, if you come to our church or if you go to a different church, contact the pastor and and let them know that this is what's going on and you need to sit down and talk. You need to sit down and talk. Um, okay, so with that said, uh, your question here starts off by saying that you notice you call out, we call out fathers and husbands, but you don't seem to call, we don't seem to call out wives. And so let me correct you here. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. We focus on the husband first and foremost because he is the spiritual leader of the home. He is the one responsible. I am the one responsible as a husband and a father in my home to to create an environment that is conducive to falling in love with Jesus. So that means, number one, I lead by example. I lead by example. And, and, and my actions, my words, my thoughts have to be a reflection of Jesus' heart. And that's the way we lead our homes. And when husbands fall short of that responsibility, then, then we're held in account, as we should be. It doesn't mean that we focus only on the husbands, but it's the husbands first, because we are the ones responsible for the temperature of our home. Now, for, hus- for wives and for mothers, they are also responsible because they too, assuming again that they're both husband and wives are Christians, they too are responsible for their actions and they will have to answer to Jesus. And so there is no license to sin at home for the wife just because uh, they're not the ones that's going to answer to Jesus about the home. They will have to answer to Jesus for the way that they act. And, and so we don't avoid that. We don't speak we don't avoid speaking or correcting wives uh, or mothers, uh, but we do so according to what Paul describes the role of the wife and the role of the husband is in Ephesians chapter 5. And, you know, Anonymous, I'll get to the second part of your question next, but I, I really want to emphasize this. There are so many... There, there are so many marriages where both the husband and the wife are professing Christians, but they do not live and they don't operate according to the roles that God has given us in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, God starts to describe the distinct role of the wife and the husband in a godly marriage. And to the wives, he says, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That means that the wife submits to the husband's spiritual leadership. That doesn't mean that if the husband fails in his leadership, that the wife can go and sin and do whatever she wants. But it means that she trusts Jesus. She trusts Jesus by submitting to her husband, the one that Jesus gave her. And if she really believes that Jesus is the one that picked this man to be her husband, then she will honor the Lord by submitting to his spiritual leadership. But Jesus goes on there through the Apostle Paul in verse 25, and really the majority of that next passage focuses on the husband. So this is why, Anonymous, we say to the husband, you have a greater responsibility because the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church by loving her and giving himself up for her. So he, he loved the church in a sacrificial manner. And that's how we husbands should love our wives. It isn't about what my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations are. I, 
a, hus- a godly husband doesn't say, look, this is my dream and you are to, to follow me in, in pursuing my dream. No, those are gone now. And because the two are now one, Jesus is the one that places goals and dreams and aspirations. His desire for the, for the two to pursue together, no longer these individual goals. And so husbands are to sacrificially put those individual goals aside and say, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And he goes on to say that the way we do that is by washing our wives with the water of the word. I can promise you, Anonymous, this marriage that you describe is one where the word of God is not studied together. The word of God is not read together. And if it is, you're not listening. You're not listening. When a husband and a wife put the word of God at the the center of their marriage, the foundation upon which they live their lives, then the Holy Spirit has the opportunity there to convict the hearts and renew their thinking, both of the husband and of the wife. So if one of them starts to think, Uh, something along the lines that strays away from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will correct them and say, hey, remember what we read together this morning? Well, the way you're thinking is contradictory to that. And so you can't do that. So Anonymous, put the Word of God at the center of your marriage, and both husband and wife need to agree to agree. Uh, Both husband and wife need to agree with Jesus. So agree to agree with Jesus, and these issues will get resolved. Now, let me address the last part of your question, because this is also important. I think this this applies to a few uh, couples that are in our radio listening audience. You say, Anonymous, I messed up prior to Jesus, and I can't consistently apologize, but she says she cannot trust, and that is why she disrespects me. She's a mean person to me. There is no room for being mean in a marriage. There's just simply no room for that. It's just not allowed. That's not acceptable. Why? Because Jesus is not mean. He's not mean to us. He will deal directly with our sin, but among the husband and wife, it's never okay to be mean to each other. Never. Now, you say here, Anonymous, that in the past, you messed up. I don't know what that means. I'm going to assume that it means that you the worst case scenario. Uh, maybe you you did something that violated your promise to your wife. And that is a detrimental to your marriage for sure. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that when you become a born-again Christian, the old is gone and the new has come. So therefore, whatever you have done in the past prior to becoming born again, Jesus no longer holds that against you. He says there, are no, there is no spot, no stain, no blemish, no charge, no accusation against you. Once you become born again and you admit that you are a sinner and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, he says yes, and he makes you brand new. But that doesn't mean that all of the consequential problems because of your past sin are going to become erased also. No, there are consequences to our past sin. And so what you need to do, Anonymous, is just own it. If there is pain that you caused your wife from the past before you were saved, you don't defend yourself. You own it and you say, I'm sorry. I did that and I deserve that from you. But this is what Jesus has done. He's forgiven me of my sin. And that old person is dead. And this is who I am now. And then you both together walk with the Lord. And the pain that your wife is experiencing because of your past sin, Jesus will begin to minister to. But that's got to be something that she allows. She allows the Lord to do. She, we can't hold grudges against each other from the past because Jesus doesn't hold grudges against us. I spoke about this yesterday when we talked about forgiveness. One of the questions was about forgiveness. And and if we are to forgive others with the forgiveness that Jesus has extended to us, that means 
we've got to be able to forgive others no matter what they've done. Now, sometimes, sometimes, because the bond of marriage is so sacred, when that is violated, sometimes it is beyond repair. Now, Jesus is always in the business of restoration. But sometimes there is damage that is done that is irreconcilable in someone's heart. And this is why the Bible does give grounds, very limited, but grounds for divorce. Again, this is not God's desire, but sometimes it's just unavoidable. But in this case, Anonymous, because these are things that you did before you got saved, I would refer back to what the Bible says. and Look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with you and your wife. And, and look together at Ephesians chapter 5 here at the roles of a godly wife and a godly husband within a godly marriage. And I would also say this, and this will be the last thing I say about this. I would strongly suggest that you, both you and your your, your wife, you, you sit down together and you listen to a marriage series available on our website, calvarysa.com. The Bible study section there, uh, there is a topical section where Pastor Ron teaches a marriage series through Ephesians chapter 5. And he deals with these exact same things, uh, past pain, how to get over it. What do we do when when somebody is mean, when a spouse is mean to to one another? And, and what does the Bible say about the role of a husband and the role of a wife? And again, if husband and wife can agree to agree with Jesus, it, it makes everything so much easier. So Anonymous, we're praying for you, and I hope that helps. Uh, thank you for your question. Let's go right to our phone lines. We have we have Alan on the phone. Hi, Alan. Are you there? Yes. Hi, Alan. Alan, do you remember me? Hi, of course, I do, Alan. It's great to hear your voice. I heard you were on this week, and so uh, anytime you're on there, I just like to call and say hi and tell you I'm praying for you and thanks to Ron. And I just came to the doctor now, so uh, I I barely made it back home, but I just thought I'd say hello and say God bless you. And uh, Sorry, I don't have a question today. No, that's okay, Alan. Thank you for your call, and thank you for your prayers. Uh, you, you know, you, Alan, you are such an encouragement. Uh, it's it's people like you that really thrill my heart because, uh, without going into too much detail, uh, I've been praying for you for a long time, and through all of the, the physical maladies and the, the difficulties that you've endured, your heart is still on fire for Jesus and your your focus is always witnessing and sharing Christ with those who who don't know him and i you're just a wonderful encouragement alan so thank you for your call and uh, we appreciate your prayers i will let pastor ron and paula know that you also called to say hello and that you're praying for them uh, again good to hear from you Oh, let's go back to our phone lines jimmy i apologize if you're still there for keeping you on hold uh, but you're on the air. Yes, I am. How you doing? <laughs> Hi, Jimmy. Hey, uh, Pastor Ron in Oceanside? Not Oceanside d- directly, but he is in California. Oh, my wife just went there today. Oh, great yeah, place. She's going to be there for a whole week. So she's going to oh. call back in Oceanside. But uh, I dropped him off this morning. But that's not my question. My question is, you think that in Zechariah 14, you think that that's what's happening right now? Uh, Zechariah, let me turn there. I know which passage you're talking about, but I don't want to misquote it because I don't have it completely memorized. But yeah, the end times prophecy of Jesus. Now, this is, this is uh, Zechariah 14 is one of the Old Testament passages that is messianic. Uh, I mean, everything about it is messianic. But 
Zechariah 14 is, is talking about the second coming. It's talking about the second coming of Christ. There are some things here, Jimmy, that is described by uh, Zechariah that seem to imply uh, that it's what's going on now, especially with everything that's taking place in Israel. But this is specific to the second coming, ushering in the millennial kingdom. That's why the reference here is to... Zechariah is saying that the one who is pierced will say, where were those wounds come from? They, they came from a, a friend. But that's what will happen at the end of the tribulational period uh, as the second coming ushers in that millennial reign. But I am with you. I am with you, Jimmy. You know, when we are seeing uh, things unfold before our very eyes that just, just remind us who are believers today that Jesus is coming anytime now. And this is not hyperbole. He, he really is coming anytime. And so our job is to be ready, is to be ready. But Zechariah 14 is, uh, to answer your question, Jimmy, it's specific to the, the second coming of Christ as we end the tribulational period and usher in the millennial reign. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Okay. Thanks for your call, Jimmy. You're, again, you're always an encouragement, too. You come up with good questions. Uh, let's go back to our questions that are being submitted. We we are just underneath five minutes. I don't know if we have time for calls uh, anymore, but uh, if you want to submit questions via email, you can do that, questions at calvarysa.com. The next one is from Debbie. Debbie says, I'm a Christian, and I love to share Jesus with people in my workplace. Recently, my new boss told me that I'm not allowed to proselytize. I think that's the word that you meant here. Proselytize at work. Is it okay if I talk about Jesus when people are asking? I have a coworker that's very depressed, and she knows I'm a Christian. You know, what, Debbie... This is a timely question because I've had multiple conversations, in fact, just today, about something similar. Similar, And what we need to remember is this, that we work unto the Lord, but we also obey the rules of our workplace. And so we don't want to be uh, someone that professes to be a Christian but is in outright defiance to the rules at work. However, when it comes to sharing Jesus— I mean, you're, when you're on the clock, you're there to work, and you're there. You should be the best employee. You should be there early, and you, you should stay there till it's time to clock out. And when you're on the clock, uh, you know you you shouldn't be. And again, Debbie, this is not what you're doing, but you shouldn't be carrying your Bible around and going from desk to desk and and doing altar calls because that takes away from the work. I understand your heart uh, to want to witness at work, but when we're at work, we're supposed to work. Now, with that, I will say this. We don't stop talking about Jesus, especially if somebody asks you about Jesus. I understand that there are some workplaces that have rules and regulations, and and that's fine. But if somebody asks you how to deal with their depression. They're inviting you to share with them a hope that you have. And, you know, sometimes uh, when we do that, you may be in violation uh, of a workplace rule or regulation, but that's something between you and the Lord. Uh, you know, if any place that says uh, you can never, ever talk about Jesus, and there's no matter what, maybe a place that the Lord may not have you to work at. Now, you're not there to change the rules of the workplace. Business owners are there to responsible to operate the business the way that they think is best, and that's fine. As an employee, you abide by the rules, but you never stop talking about Jesus. So if somebody asks you, hey, I'm going through a hard time, can, can we talk? And You say, sure, sure. And you give them the hope that you have. If, if, but you don't go away from your work, maybe you have lunch together. 
Maybe you go and during your break you talk about it. Or maybe you go and grab dinner afterwards. Whatever the case may be, you want to make sure that you submit to the authority that you're under in the workplace by following the rules, but ultimately your authority is under Jesus Christ. And when people ask for help, you want to give it. Just make sure you do it at a time or in a way that that, that doesn't violate uh, whatever the rules are at work. Now, if it gets to the point to where they don't want you ever talking about Jesus, even if somebody asks you and and they're asking and, and the person is asking you to talk about Jesus, uh, you got to share Jesus with them. And then you own the consequences. Because ultimately, uh, someone's salvation or finding their hope in Christ is much more important than a job. Now, that's not reckless, but you have to keep what your priorities. You're not there to change the workplace, but you're there to offer hope. And ultimately, wherever we work, what we do is we work unto the Lord. And Jesus will bring people there that need to hear about him. So, Debbie, I hope that helps, and thank you for your question. Uh, Reminder, tonight is Wednesday, our Old Testament study night here. Pastor Elaine will be teaching in the book of Genesis, 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Please join us. My name is Pastor Ken. I'll be filling in for Pastor Ron again tomorrow on the Date Day Edition with my wife, May. 4 o'clock. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.